Rule of thumb, if you're getting 20 minutes or so of good direct sunlight on your face and arms every day, that's typically thought to give you the vitamin D you need. If you're getting more than that, but fewer days per week, you still could be okay. Many doctors like me are impressed by vitamin D's ability to not just help you absorb calcium, but it may have an anti-cancer effect. Well, hello there. And welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks so much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. On tap today, a couple of very interesting conversations with Dr. Neil Barnard. First up, vitamins and a healthy diet. What supplements do we really need? Who needs them? Who should be taking them? He has the lowdown on everything, including vitamin B12. Now, I want to tell you about a poll that was conducted last year by the American Osteopathic Association. And what that poll showed was that 86% of adults in the U.S. take vitamin or a supplement every day. So why is that? Well, some interesting findings there. Only half of them are taking that on advice from a doctor. 40% taking them just because of something they may have read online or stumbled across on social media. But here's where it really gets interesting. About one out of every five are making those choices to take supplements based off of the recommendation of a friend or a family member. And 13%, well, they're taking them just because they saw something bright and shiny in the store. Literally, it's just because they saw something that jumped out to them in the aisles. And then another 13% say they're taking the vitamin or supplement based off of advice from a trainer or nutritionist. And 6%, 6% say that they are taking one because of a celebrity or someone they follow on social media. So now the question becomes, are those 86% of adults in America being misguided? Well, we are going to find out. Also today on the show, Dr. Barnard will be looking at whether the meat that is being sold in your local grocery store right up the street, whether that meat is a carrier for the coronavirus. And there's a good chance that that answer is why E-S. Oh dear. And lastly, if this wasn't a full enough show already, we are going to be shattering another nutrition myth with a woman who shattered the ceiling for Olympic cycling. Dotsie Bausch is here with a look at dairy and her amazing Switch for Good campaign. She and I, were going to be talking about why milk really isn't that healthy fuel that we're told that it was. Instead, really, It is just the opposite. So now Dotsie is encouraging other athletes and really everyone else to switch for good and to take the dairy out of their diet. So we're going to be speaking with her about that and a whole lot more. But first up on the exam room, going to be talking about supplements. Who needs them? Who should be taking them? 
what they should be taking, how much, what should be avoided, so many questions, so many vitamins, so many minerals, but just one Dr. Barnard. And he's here right now with the answers. A lot of people are wondering, should I be taking supplements now, especially perhaps to boost the immune system at a time when everybody is still very much concerned about this pandemic? What do we know about supplements and healthy diets? Who should be taking them? What should they be taking, if anything? Okay, great questions. Um, well, first of all, we're going to start off with a healthy diet. And the healthy diet is four things. Vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and beans or legumes, the beans, peas, lentils group. So vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans. That gives you lots of vitamin C and beta carotene and fiber and, and so forth. But what do we need to add? I want to talk about vitamin B12. Its technical term is cobalamin, and you need it for healthy blood cells and healthy nerves. It's not made by plants or by animals. It's actually made by bacteria. And some people will speculate that before the advent of modern hygiene, bacteria that would be in the soil or on plants or on our fingers or something might give us the tiny trace of B12 you need. You don't need very much. You only need 2.4 micrograms. Uh, those days are gone. Um, modern hygiene has eliminated that, and it's not clear that that was ever really sufficient. But why would a person run low in vitamin B12? The first thing is if you don't have much stomach acid. There is some B12 in meat products or in dairy products because bacteria in the cow's gut will make the B12 and it gets into the meat. However, it's, it's hard to absorb it from that source if you don't have stomach acid to pry it loose. Secondly, there's something in your digestive tract called intrinsic factor that also is important to absorb it, and some people don't have it. Uh, metformin, the most common drug prescribed for type 2 diabetes, limits B12 absorption. Acid blockers limit uh, B12 absorption. A lot of people for acid stomach are taking acid blocking drugs. You add all these things up, a lot of people are B12 deficient. But also, if you're on a vegan diet, which is the healthiest way to go, there isn't uh, really much B12 in those foods unless they are fortified with it, um, which is common, but you can't really count on it. So my recommendation is if there's one supplement that everybody ought to be taking, it's vitamin B12. And the supplements are well absorbed, even in the absence of stomach acid. So let's say you were on medications and acid blockers, you're still going to absorb it. The amount that you need is 2.4 micrograms per day as an adult. That's very small. You're going to go to the store. You're going to see basically none that are that small. But if you get a typical multiple vitamin, they have the, the B12 in them. But uh, better still, you can even get just a B12 supplement. Now, you'll, uh, for extra credit, that you'll see cyanocobalamin or methylcobalamin, and the answer is they both work. Uh, methylcobalamin is the physiologic form. That's the form your body wants. Uh, some manufacturers put a tiny amount of cyanide in there. I know it sounds terrible. Um, it makes it more shelf-stable, and the amount is actually trivial, so it's totally non-toxic. Either one of them works, although methylcobalamin is, is the physiologic form. Um, but I have a caution for you, and that is don't overdo it on vitamin B12. Now, I used to be convinced that it didn't matter if you take uh, a lot of it or a little, that it was always safe. However, a study came out last year 
called the Prevention of Renal and Vascular End-Stage Disease Study. Kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? They happened to look in the, in the Netherlands at more than 5,000 people, and they looked at vitamin B12 levels in the blood and who lived and who died over time. And what they found is that you want a little bit of B12 in your blood, so you do need to have it, but you don't want to really overdose on it. This curve shows the, the higher the blood levels of B12 over time, the higher the mortality. And to, to really summarize this, the lower B12 levels, um, lower mortality, higher B12 levels, higher mortality. So what does that mean? It's essential. Don't overdo it. Okay. Uh, the next thing, though, is vitamin D. Now, the truth is vitamin D is important to help your body absorb calcium, but the normal source is just the sunlight. Human beings from equatorial Africa, where we all began, had no trouble getting vitamin D. You're out in the sun for a little while, you get all the vitamin D you make. The sun on your skin uh, causes vitamin D to form. However, many of us had the bad judgment to leave uh, a nice place like equatorial Africa and move to New Jersey or North, North Dakota or Saskatchewan or somewhere where there's less sunlight. And there you can run low. So what do you do? You can take a supplement. Now, for extra credit, there's two different forms, vitamin D2 and vitamin D3. Ergocalciferol, that's D2, that comes from fungi. And D3 as a supplement is cholecalciferol, and believe it or not, it comes from wool. It's the oily part of wool. How people figure that out, I'm not sure. But D2 or D3, and there's been a question as to which is uh, most effective. The short answer is they both work. D2, probably more common in products. D3, you'll see it as well. Um, however, uh, if you put them to a head-to-head -head test, researchers in an osteoporosis clinic at UCLA brought in 38 participants. They were mostly white people. Um, they gave them 10, D 10 weeks of either D2 or D3. And what did they find? For D2, it did boost the blood level of, vi of vitamin D in their blood. That's good. D3, more effective. Aha. Uh -huh. So it looks like evidence is favoring D3. So researchers then looked at all the studies that were ever done. And I got to tell you, D3 wins. But now I mentioned that D3 comes from wool. And you might be thinking, that's creepy. I don't want that. Well, the, I'm happy to tell you that the supplement world has come out to help you. You can get vitamin D3 like this, but the very same brand makes vitamin D3 that is vegan sourced. No sheep were used in this. It's not from wool at all. And so if you go online, you'll see vitamin D3 from vegan sources. D2 is okay. D3 might be better. And they're both vegan. So there you have it. Dr. Brown, our next question comes to you. This is from Nicolette. Can including nutritional yeast that includes B12 into your diet a few times a week, will that be enough B12 instead of taking a supplement? Um, great question. Um, nutritional yeast is a great thing uh, for two ways. One is that it replaces cheese, especially it provides that cheesy flavor, but none of the regrets that are in cheese, no hormones, no cholesterol, no animal fat. So that's good. But as you said, many brands of nutritional yeast uh, do contain B12. Um, they were fortified as the nutritional yeast was grown. Um, however, my best guess, having looked at these labels, is that that alone is probably not going to do it. It will, be, it will bring you close, but I would take a supplement as well. This one from Caroline. Does the body produce less vitamin D over time with decreased sun exposure? Does it ever just give up? You mean you're out in the sun and your skin isn't making any vitamin D? Nope. Um, the, the UV rays from the sun 
um, are the ones that will create vitamin D. Um, but because they're UV rays, these are the same rays that will lead to tanning and burning. So if you put a sunscreen on, that will not only stop the burn, it'll stop the vitamin D. Really touched on something here with vitamin D. Uh, this one is kind of specific, but I think it will apply nonetheless to a lot of people. On the days we're not out in the sun, do we still need to take vitamin D3 and K2 supplements? For example, if I sun three days, do I still need to take the supplements on the remaining four days in the week? Yeah, vitamin D is stored to a degree in the body. So if you have a cloudy day or you just don't go out at all, your body will store it. In fact, it stores it through the winter, at least part way. And it's sort of dose related. The more you store it, uh, the more you exposure you got, the more that you'll store. Um, so there, there are no really hard and fast rules. And that's why doctors often check blood levels to just see how you're doing with your vitamin D. Rule of thumb, if you're getting 20 minutes or so of good direct sunlight on your face and arms every day, that's typically thought to give you the vitamin D you need. Um, if you're getting more than that, but fewer days per week, you still could be okay. Uh, many doctors like me are impressed by vitamin D's ability to not just help you absorb calcium, but it may have an anti-cancer effect. So that's why we're not fooling around with it and we're recommending supplements uh, more commonly than we would otherwise. And the dosage that you'll hear people talk about is a little higher than the RDA. Uh, most doctors will say about 2,000 international units a day as a supplement, even if you're getting sunlight as extra credit. I would be careful about going higher than that because like a lot of good things, too much is not better. A quick follow-up to that conversation. The global supplement industry today is worth upwards of $120 billion. And it is an exploding industry. It's expected to balloon to be worth more than $215 billion over the next six years. Yes, billion with a B. And you better believe that the U.S., represents a significant slice of that supplement pie. As a former unhealthy, overweight person, I honestly wonder if many of us who are buying these supplements kind of feel like because they're taking a multivitamin, they are being shielded from the effects of fast food. As if taking that multivitamin will somehow cancel out the Big Mac that they ate for lunch or for dinner. That's how my mind worked. But unfortunately, it really doesn't work that way. There is no multivitamin. There is no supplement that can completely undo a supersized value meal, let alone one that you eat every single day. So the best advice here is to do the best that you can with healthier foods. Many people will say, eat the way that nature intended. And then once you do that, see where you're at. If you're curious about what it is that you should be eating, we have a lot of great resources up on PCRM.org, including the 21 Day Vegan Kickstart that will in fact jumpstart 
your nutrition. That's also available in the App Store if you're using an Apple device or over in the Google Store if you're on an Android device. Now, that will get you going in a balanced and a healthy way. And obviously, everyone is also a little bit different. Some people, they're still gonna need help for one reason or another. But by and large, we should be getting our vitamins and nutrients from the produce aisle and not the supplement aisle, as someone famous once said on this very show. Now then, I also had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Barnard on the exam room live about the coronavirus. And as cases surge, more concerns are bubbling up. Fears actually that we had from early on in the pandemic. They are now re-emerging. And one of them is how safe is the food that we are buying in stores? Specifically, meat. Now, there's a good chance that if you're listening to the show, you are not buying meat. I completely understand that. But this is still an important question that we decided to speak about because Dr. Barnard pointed to one study showing that the virus had been found on shrimp that was being sold in China. And that one study was also just the latest in a string of studies showing very much the same thing. This has been of concern for a long time, uh, and we've been talking about it here ever since the beginning. Uh, when the virus is on a metal surface, it's not going to survive very long. If it's on a cardboard surface, if it's on a tile surface or glass, it's, it's, it's not going to last terribly long. However, when the virus is refrigerated, it lasts a much longer period of time. And so people have been concerned, what about meat products? Because people often meet workers, slaughterhouse workers are infected. The virus can be airborne. It can settle into the meat. The meat is then refrigerated. What happens? Um, when meat is refrigerated, the virus can last for weeks. When it's frozen, it can last indefinitely. So uh, a week or two ago in China, uh, there were cutting boards that were used for salmon that were shown to be infected. And so China instantly stopped salmon imports. Well, we have a new report just out today uh, looking at shrimp. And uh, in China, once again, shrimp packages were shown to be infected. And they looked at the outside of the package. They found the virus there. They looked at the inside of the package. They found it there as well. It was traced back to Ecuador, which is where China had imported it from. And needless to say, China stopped the export of it. The lesson, I think, for people who are here in the United States might be that if you are getting pork chops or chicken products in your home, if they're part of what you're purchasing, they're refrigerated or frozen. They come from slaughterhouses where inevitably workers are carrying the virus and we're inviting the virus into our home. So I think there's every reason to be concerned, Chuck. I want to go back, though, really quick to the shrimp study that you were talking about, uh, because I know that a lot of people also would say, well, if it's being found specifically on shrimp and we know that it's been found on salmon and, and other meat, what about produce? Is it being found in bags of spinach and other vegetables? What do we know about that? Uh, it seems to be much, much less likely. Um, and that's probably both due to the conditions of growth and the conditions of transport.
That was just a quick conversation, but an important one nonetheless. Quick follow-up points here. China has also banned imports of meat from processing plants across the world where there have been outbreaks of COVID-19 among workers, including from facilities right here in the U.S. Now, to be fair, global health experts have also said that the risk of becoming infected by the coronavirus that have been found on these imported foods seems low. Low, but not no. So nonetheless, it's still not the most pleasant thought. Now, as for these workers at these meat and food processing plants, these plants, nearly 500 of them, 492 to be specific, have had a confirmed case of COVID-19. Add that to the 125 other food processing plants and 65 farms and other production facilities. That all adds up to more than 43,000 workers in the food system becoming infected with COVID-19. That is according to records kept by the Food and Environment Reporting Network. Finally today, I want to revisit a conversation that I had with Olympian Dotsie Bausch. From victory lane at the Indy 500 to finish lines of marathons to ads splashed across magazine covers and TV screens for generations, milk has been touted as a cornerstone of a healthy diet, necessary for strong teeth and bones and muscles that are all kinds of strong. We have been told that milk does a body good. But does it? Does it really? There is a growing chorus of elite athletes who say, we have it, all wrong. And they are ditching dairy to take their game and their health to the next level. Indeed, they are switching for good. Leading the charge is Dotsie, whose own story reads like a feel-good Disney movie. At an age when many cyclists have long been enjoying retirement, Dotsie was celebrating because she was pedaling her way all the way to an Olympic medal. Dotsie, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thanks, Weight Loss Champ. It's good to see you again. <laughs> it's great to see you too. How are things out in California? I know that there's this huge surge of cases, but you look like you're healthy and happy. So, so far, so good. Yeah. I mean, we have a pretty strict governor, so we opened up oh, probably a good month after a lot of the southern states. I'm from Kentucky and my family's there and and uh, and, and they opened up and then we <laughs> I was still waiting to get my nails done because, you know, we got to keep things, <laughs> the important things in line here. But uh, yeah, I think it feels like it does anywhere. I think, you know, the thing that's just the scariest is how much we don't know about this virus. That's what freaks me out. You know, some people come down with the sniffles. Some people die. Uh, some people get their limbs cut off like that incredible uh, Broadway actor. Uh, some, you know, have uh, debilitating um, lung issues long term after. I mean, I just it's 
that's that's what I think is so freaky for for everyone. And, and so many doctors have varying opinions on what we should do. So, ugh, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I know, I know. But my wife, she does feel you with the nail with the nail thing. I mean, she was waiting for months to be able to get hers done. You should have seen the lengths <laughs> that she was going to to keep these things pieced together. It was, I know. It was really MacGyvering all ten digits. It was just <laughs> remarkable. Um, let's. Uh, I want to talk uh, really quickly about your story for those who aren't familiar with you, because really, you you are kind of the Rudy of the cycling world. <laughs> you went vegan. And your game just exploded all the way to a silver medal at the Olympics. Yes, that's true. I mean, it was a 13-year journey, and I, and I went plant-based a couple of years out of Olympic Games. I went to the 2012 Olympic Games. But it was pretty astounding. I, 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 I really entered uh, the plant-based vegan space through the ethical route. I mean, basically, I just had a moment where I thought, all of these animals that I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Kentucky and in the South and, and grew up on some land and just had every animal you could imagine. It was it was my play world. I, I was with them more than I was with humans. Uh, I would sleep with my horses at night. And I mean, and I just finally thought, what in the world? If I love animals so much, that probably is not going to include eating them. So it was just this awakening that I had almost overnight and changed my diet and really had no idea what was going to happen to my performance, my output, my strength. You know, I was a little concerned about my strength, uh, my events specifically uh, on track cycling starts from a standing start and track bikes are fixed gears, no brakes. So it is a is a massive load on the start to be able to get the bike up to speed. And so we have to have a really incredible amount of hip and glute and hamstring strength. And I didn't really know, you know, what this new diet was going to was going to do to me. I, I had I had no concept, but it was quickly uh, it quickly became kind of like my secret sword. Um, and, and like you said, I, I, I went to the Olympics uh, a little bit older than my teammates and competitors. I was 39 and a half uh, oldest still in, in my discipline um, to even go to the Olympic Games. And I really think that the diet had a huge impact on my repair, my recovery, even my strength gain, right? Being able to really have much better blood flow and getting that oxygen into the working muscles. I was able to, to, to grow, you know, good solid muscles that I needed for the start, but repair faster every day because as elite athletes, the most important thing is to be able to do the most workload because the athletes that's going to be able to do the most work is going to be stronger and better on race day. But you got to be able to repair between that work so that you can come back stronger. And that's the key to the plant-based diet, right, is that repair and recovery uh, in between those hard days and those hard efforts. And that, you know, became the genesis for this incredible Switch for Good campaign, which you've been spearheading. And I look at this and all of the athletes who are saying, hey, we've taken dairy out of our diet. We're having similar success to what it is that you were just talking about. And then that kind of got me to thinking, well, why is it then that we're hearing uh, on the other side of the equation, people who say dairy is the reason why I'm finishing first. And we are seeing these ads that, you know, milk does a body good. And we're seeing people chug milk at the uh, victory lane of, of the Indy 500. What is, you know, yeah. <laughs> where does that come from beyond just slick marketing? Yeah, chuck, chucking, chugging breast milk at the end of a race. It's just like, what's <laughs> happening right now? I know. We do have to look always. 
uh, at who is profiting behind the messages that we're receiving in the general public. And Milk spent $90 million last year on those types of campaigns. So they got some deep pockets. We don't have quite that budget at Switch for Good. We're, we're getting there. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really, I think, making sure that you're digging deeper and asking more questions about what you're being fed. Uh, we've been fed this um, this false narrative since we were little tiny, right? That the milk mustache and milk does a body good and 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 it's 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 all the marketing behind that. Uh, we don't have the studies to stand up that truth. And milk tends to just kind of um, you know rest on their laurels that milk has nutrients. I hope so. It's breast milk for a growing baby calf, right? So of course it has nutrients in it, but it also has an onslaught of other elements that make us humans uh, very sick. A, a lot of, um, you know, there are molecules in milk that our body doesn't recognize. Um, the sugar molecule in EU5GC, um, D-galactose is also in studies been, been shown to really create inflammation in our bodies because our body does not recognize that form of it from cow's milk. And so what happens when we don't, our body doesn't recognize something, it creates a defense mechanism, right? And that always in, internally comes in the form of inflammation and you guys know better than anyone that inflammation is really the precipitous and the beginning of, of some of our most common diseases and our biggest killers that we have here in the U.S. So we can get all of those nutrients from other foods. It is, the, you know, vitamin D, which is fortified anyway in milk, but you can get vitamin D from having a little sunshine or, you know, you can supplement with it. Of calcium, of course, you can get from all the amazing plant world, dark leafy greens, almonds, tahinis, the highest sesame seeds, right? So dip your chips or your carrots into tahini. I'm always telling parents they're so worried about the calcium if they take their their child off of cow's milk. Um, but kids love, uh, you know, dipping anything. So dip in tahini, um, you know, the magnesium, the potassium, it's all, it's all found in, uh, in mother earth food. So just eat real food and you'll get all the nutrients that you need to recover and repair. You mentioned inflammation kind of being the precipitous for all of these chronic diseases. A lot of them are among the leading killers here in the States and, and worldwide. On our sister show, The Exam Room podcast earlier this week, I did an episode called Debating Dairy. And my guest mm. on that episode was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Gary Frazier, very famous epidemiologist. Matter of fact, he's speaking at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine next month. Right. I asked him, I said, well, should dairy belong in the same category as processed meat and as tobacco? And he said, no. He said, although I'm trending away from dairy, mm -hmm. I'm not yet ready to put it in the same category. Mm -hmm. Are you, though, Dotsie, ready to put it there? Well, I certainly wouldn't argue, you know, what what he's saying from a, you know, scientific standpoint. I mean, I'm I'm certainly speaking about it in in terms of inflammatory responses that we are seeing and experiencing as athletes from eating animal-based foods, right? So that, you know, is the onslaught of all of them. And uh, dairy for most people uh, is 
they, they have an intolerance to it. 65% of the world's population cannot properly digest cow's milk. So that's a big argument right there to drop it. Because if you are one of those people, some of the side effects are exacerbating asthma symptoms, difficulty breathing, uh, dry cough, stuffy nose, bloating, constipation, diarrhea. I mean, really pretty nasty, nasty symptoms. So it's just kind of looking at, well, what foods am I putting in my body that are making me better? And what foods am I putting in my body that are making me worse? And Cow's milk is definitely a detriment uh, to the athlete system, and 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 certainly we could we could certainly put it behind processed meats. I mean that's fine with me, but it's it's you know it's a hard second right there. And if you have any issues digesting milk, or you feel kind of that chronic um, lethargy or 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 just tiredness, I we hear all the time from people that when they get dairy out of their diet, their energy comes back. And that again is probably from either part intolerance or part of that inflammatory response. So, you know, we're looking at being our best version of ourselves, not just like mediocre. So that's my argument for ditching dairy. Uh, and it's it's a pretty strong one at that. You said 65%. That's that's roughly two thirds. And so when you have that many people who are having issues there, that kind of makes you think about the upcoming dietary guidelines that are being reformulated. They're supposed to come out early next year. And I'm kind of wondering, well, where is dairy going to stand in those guidelines? We've seen other countries such as Canada really take a big step back from dairy. What do you think is going to happen here in the States? Yeah. So in the States, it's 36% of Americans are lactose intolerant. So that again, that's a third of us. That's about 120 million Americans that this food group just makes sick, sick simply because of, of the intolerance to it. So um, we've definitely been waging a fight specifically to the dietary guidelines, the Center for Nutrition Policy, the USDA, in as it relates to lactose intolerant. Obviously, there's lots of health ill effects of milk, but as it relates to lactose intolerant, it is an inarguable situation because the numbers come, the, the intolerant numbers, um, 120 million Americans come directly from the NIH and they are numbers that the dietary guidelines references. So if you have a food group, right, on the guidelines that makes a third of the American population sick, and disproportionately makes people of color sick, that is a serious form of dietary racism, right? Uh, and so we have we are pushing to get dairy removed at, as it specifically relates to that. Did a huge campaign in the public commentary and set, you know time frame that we could you know give public commentary. And we ended up uh, being responsible for 27% of all total comments, which is setting us up um, let me just say for a fight that we'll be dealing with. I was on the phone with your amazing Susan Levin yesterday, yeah, figuring out our little, <laughs> our little plan. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a big, big problem. And they don't have education around it on the dietary guidelines. You know, it's like, there's this one sentence that says, if you think you have lactose malabsorption, you can have soy milk. But the biggest problem really is with, our children and this and the checkoff program and the school lunch program because they don't have alternatives at public schools, zero. So if mm -hmm. if a, you know a third of these children they're taking a milk and it's making them sick, they don't even know what's wrong. They don't know why they feel that way. They don't know why they feel bloated and gassy. We get 
emails all the time from children at Switch for Good. Can you help me? My mom thinks I should have whole fat cow's milk in my cereal. A 15-year-old wrote us a, a, a bit ago. Um, and I want her to know that, it, you know, I can get nutrients from other milks. And I go to school and she said, um, and I'm embarrassed. And to me, that means she's probably, you know, bloated and gassy. And and it's, it's it, 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 we have to have education around this. I'm not delusional that they're going to rip dairy off this time around. I have a lot of hopes in five years from now with the work that we're all doing, but they at least need to provide a significant amount of education and there needs to be an alternative in schools for children to cow's milk. I would agree 100%. And it's, the thing is, I think back about, gosh, the, almost 30 years ago to when I was in elementary school. And I remember going to school with a friend who he had a, a tick you know, he couldn't stop nodding his head and nobody could figure out for years what this was until finally the doctor all those years ago was like, this is a reaction to dairy. And as soon wow. as they took that out of his diet, the tick was gone. The same thing that, you know, he was getting picked on and teased because of mm. was simply gone overnight. And he went on to lead a happy and healthy life that was absolutely 100% tick free. And so Gosh. this connection really isn't, all that new, it just kind of yeah, makes no. you realize that, man, you know, we're really up against some powerful lobbyists here and, and Dairy Management Inc., which of course sounds a little bit conspiracy theorist. But if you go and you, and you look yeah. at the FOIA yeah. requests that we filed and all of the, the records yeah. that we have, I mean, it's just amazing how much pressure is being put on from on high to get as much dairy into schools and into restaurants, fast food restaurants everywhere yeah. as possible. Yeah. 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 It's a giant. It's a it's a David and Goliath story for sure. You know, it makes you think back to the tobacco days and we, we, we will get there. We will. Amen to that. Amen yeah. to that. And I think that your switch for good campaign is going to be a big part of that as well. Uh, you guys are everywhere at the moment. I know that uh, one of our colleagues here at the Physicians Committee had his mom text recently this week and was like, hey, I just saw a, a PSA on the Today Show for this campaign called Switch for Good. Have you heard about it? So you guys are all over the place. What are you up to? Yeah. So we, well, like we started the show out kind of talking about the virus. We had a huge, you know, education brand awareness plan leading into the Olympics, right? It's supposed to launch mid-April and we had, we were, I was going to be in Tokyo. We had all this stuff set up and then boom, <laughs> no more Olympics. So we said, listen, we still really believe in making sure that we get this part of the message out this year. So the campaign to me, uh, I mean, Switch for Good itself is a nonprofit organization, but this this is uh, this is a, our summer campaign that we call "Listen to Your Gut and Switch for Good." Uh, so it's really about people learning to truly listen to uh, the experience that they're having eating different foods, right? And listen to your gut. And if your gut is telling you that dairy is making you feel terrible uh, or bloated or asthmatic, or you know, give it a try. Just ditch it for some days, and 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 you'll know you'll know the difference. So we ended up launching. Uh, the campaign on NBC Monday, like a couple days ago. So it's running on NBC for a couple of months every day on the Today Show. It's also running uh, on multiple streaming platforms. And we also have um, a radio buy, which is a little different than the PSAs themselves. They're, they're interviews and, and different uh, scripts with the various DJs around the country who are uh, dairy free. So we got to have some really deep, rich conversations with with these DJs and on their journeys and their experiences with uh, with ditching dairy. So, and we have a big um, 
official scientific review report that's launching at the beginning of August. It's really the first of its kind that that looks at the history of of Milk's marketing uh, into the athlete space and uh, goes into depth, um, into great depth and understanding the ill effects on health and performance uh, on athletes. It's written by six MDs and two dietitians. So we're really excited for that to come out too in the, in the beginning of August. That's awesome. I, I can guarantee that was the first time the term radio buy has been mentioned on this show. That just melts my little media heart. So God bless you for that. Uh, yeah. So here's the deal. If you want to learn more about this campaign, head over to switch the number four good.org or check out your podcast. You're a podcaster now as well. The switch for good podcast. You and I were emailing a little bit before the show. You're telling me that thing is just blowing up right now. Yeah. We've seen some really good growth month over month. We're, we're, we're at, a, we're just about a year in and, I hosted alongside Alexandra Paul, who so many of you know, longtime animal activist, um, uh, most notably known in her acting career for being on Baywatch for all those years in the, the red bathing suit, which was, I don't know how she pulled that off. And said, oh my gosh, stressful. But we have just the most extraordinary time together. And we're just, you know, we're, we're just like you, right? You just continue to uh, improve every single time. You know, we're pushing ourselves to be better, do better, and make sure that we're getting the information that the audience wants, right? Really helping people understand, be educated and, and help them on their journey, hold their hand along the way. So we've had some, we've had some great guests on and yeah, we're just hammering away. So if you, if you want to lean into to listening to that, we're, we're there on all the podcatchers. Thanks for bringing it up. That's kind of you. Of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever shows are yeah. available. That's where you can look for it. Switch for good. Also on Instagram at switch, the number four good. Dotsie Bosch, you are just a true joy and a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. We've put links to the Switch for Good campaign in the episode notes and up on pcrm.org slash podcast. By the way, these conversations today, all of them are from the exam room live. And you can check out that show Monday through Friday, noon Eastern over on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page and YouTube channel. We have links to that in the episode notes as well. And we call it the exam room live for a very good reason, because these shows, I assure you, are 100% live and unscripted. Check us out. Monday through Friday, noon Eastern. It is the healthiest half hour anywhere online today. Now, typically toward the end of the show, a lot of times I will ask you for a topic, something that you would like for us to talk about here on the show, or maybe some questions to ask the doctor. But today I have a different ask. I want to ask you for inspiration. Who do you know who has dramatically improved their health by going vegan? Maybe it was you. What we have discovered by doing this show is that there are so many great stories out there, and we want to tell them all. So drop me a line on Facebook or Tweet me at Chuck Carroll WLC. You can find me on Instagram. Same name there. Let me know who is this inspiration. Remember, inspiration. The goal of this show is both to educate and to inspire. 
So let's show them what this world is really made of. Let's get the masses feeling good about ditching meat, about ditching dairy, and hopefully living the healthy life that they've always dreamed of. There are so many great stories out there. It was just last week that we spoke with the Lajani family, who went vegan together, lost a thousand pounds. Eric O'Gray will be on the show in the near future. Eric O'Gray got off a ton of medication, reversed so many diagnoses, reversed diabetes, adopted a dog, lost hundreds of pounds. The Ignafo family, they go vegan together. Guess what? They lose hundreds of pounds. Tracy McWhorter, the ageless vegan, inspiring 10,000 black women to go vegan. Adam Sud, the plant-based addict. Adam Sud, a big part of his recovery coming back off of substance abuse was adopting a plant-based diet. There are so many great stories, so many health heroes out there. And I want to make sure that they get their due. So if you know someone who is inspiring, eats a plant-based diet, has a remarkable story, I would love to hear all about it. Tweet me, send me a message on Facebook, find me on Instagram. Heck, you can send me a FedEx package. I would just love to hear these names and I would love to tell more stories. Maybe it is your story. I would love that too. Just let me know. And while you're pondering those names, you could also head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever shows are available. Hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star rating for the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee. We would greatly appreciate it because every new subscription and five-star rating gets this information in front of someone who needs it the most. And that's going to do it for us. My thanks again to Dr. Neil Barnard and Dotsie Bausch for joining us. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based.